0: This week's episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 15th of June 2022 at home in Wicklow and it is an episode mostly dedicated to the idea of dropping one's defences and I make arguments for the benefits of the laying down of arms and leaving oneself open and as ever with the with the podcast uh, there was a point I wanted to make and it slipped my mind but a key idea of course of having one's defences down is it allows one to receive more and if we have our defences up we're often depriving ourselves of receiving things and that is that's a loss that is a less rich experience uh, in which to place ourselves so sure putting the defensive guard down may leave us feeling more vulnerable more exposed but it means we're more open to receiving and to seeing and being aware of good things as well and it just allows our consciousness to to go to a different place um, and to move away from the sensation of being embattled because sometimes we're not embattled and sometimes that is a projection of other other fears and other beliefs that we have anyway that was a point I wanted to make and failed to so you're getting it now um, also, as part of this little preamble, I read <laughs> I read somewhere. Um, I'm sure it was I think it was actually uh, a patreon newsletter, and they were advocating naming naming their listeners. Now, I don't mean naming them as in exposing them, <laughs> but to adopt. A collective name for uh, for people to listen to to listen to your podcast. Um, so uh, yeah, I've, I was reflecting on that, and I don't have any great answer. You know, clear heads. I mean, I, I, I mean, the second I say it, I find myself resisting it. I just go, oh, would you go on, but um, often. In fact, last week I know I I, I reached out, uh, gave a shout out to my friend Shane in San Francisco, and uh, I referred to him as friend of the show, friend of the podcast, and I also remember that in previous episodes I've said this isn't a show, it's a tell, so I might I might start referring to my listeners as friends of the tell. What about that? Is that is that gammy? <laughs> I'll keep rolling I'll keep rolling with a few of them just to to see uh, over over the coming episodes but I I quite like that one Friend of the Tell um you know because it's it's not immediately obvious it's not instantly a literal thing the tell could be a place it could be a a code a bonding pact anyway that's uh that's, that's that's there too so you'll find when you listen uh I I tested positive for COVID a week ago So I've had a week of lying low So the first part of the episode is a bit of a roundup Of some home entertainment Some movies I took in alone and also with my daughter Um, And there is a connection There is a connection to my my main thesis in today's episode Uh, So bear with it Uh, Most of the episode is dedicated to this idea Of dropping one's defences So get into it, I hope you enjoy it and yeah, I'll see you there, right around the corner. Cheers. Ooh, not gonna change my mind, leaving the dream Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you are listening to The Clear Out. Welcome, welcome. How are you today? So, I think one of the last things I said on last week's episode was that I think... I I expressed the belief that I was turning a corner. I'd been battling, battling some dose for a couple of weeks that had compromised me energy-wise and voice-wise and my sinuses were being battered, everything. I wasn't feeling well. And that's why last week I ended up mainly reciting American poetry because I didn't have sufficient brain space to ramble and improvise around a chosen theme the way I normally do. And so, yes, by the end of last week's episode, I said with a certain amount of confidence, I think I'm turning a corner. And I did turn a corner and I ran straight into COVID. I think less than 12 hours after I finished recording last week's episode, I tested positive for COVID and then had a miserable, miserable few days of just being battered battered by the, the virus, the dreaded vid. Um, the whole system took a pummeling. Um, my wife also tested positive around the same time and we're just about out of it. My wife's slightly behind in the recovery stakes. But it's been a week of laying very, very low. And yes, it's, uh, there's been a lot of sleeping and there have been quite a few movies as well so I might do a little roundup of the movies <laughs> but one of the things that struck me in my my weakened state and my forced stop now I did I did speak about this idea um earlier this year when I was overtaken by a bout of violent vomiting um, and that, that, that raised some musings for me as well as what was in my stomach. But this time around I found myself very quickly just giving myself over to the, the isolation status and the self-imposed house arrest and what I thought was and I'm going to expound on this uh, as the episode goes on but what I thought was sometimes it's actually lovely to just drop the defences to let the defences down and be in a very open exposed state Uh, and of course that's that's probably another way of describing being vulnerable, um, being open and I suppose I think of it as being receptive and what has struck me over this last week is in our normal mode, our normal busy mode, the day to day, getting on with life mode, even for someone. Like me, who sort of lives quite, you know, in, in quite an irregular, hard to pin down way. The nature of how I try to earn a crust and the types of things that I do, um, particularly with the podcast, but also with some of the wellness content I produce for Aura. Can you feel my aura? Um, naturally, I'm reflecting on things I'm thinking about things I'm trying to make sense of things uh, because that's the way my brain is inclined anyway but also because now with the podcast and also with producing stuff for aura can you feel my aura Um, there's a purpose there's a purpose to reflecting there's a purpose to trying to a purpose to trying to draw connections and clarify things and compose uh, pieces of organized thought that can be presented for the consumption of others um here on the podcast quite casually and often with humor and tangents and digressions uh the wellness content in a much more focused way um so yeah, so even though that is often the way I'm mentally walking through life, uh the forced sit down, the forced stop, the forced arrest brought that to a whole other level of Oh, okay, so this is what it's like to really let go of the other thoughts, the busyness, the, the logistical stuff and yeah it was I found it kind of fascinating. Um so yeah so that's that's going to be a focus of today's episode. I'm going to argue for the the benefits of dropping one's defenses and there'll be a little bit of martial arts uh analogizing in there as well um which I think you'll understand and maybe get something out of um yeah so Anyway, I will return to that in due course. So yes, as I said, uh, movies. There have been movies, um, and that's one of the really nice things. Uh, last weekend, I was able to just really hang out with my daughter and watch movies. Um, it's one of our favourite things to do, and we picked uh, we picked a few a few doozies, a few really good ones, and. Um, We were flicking through Netflix and I said oh stop go back I think you'll enjoy this one and it was a movie from 1996 called Fly Away Home which was based on a true story and fundamentally it was about a little girl who had to move in with her father who was separated from her mother after her mother died in a car crash and she moved to Canada to his farm where he had a big barn and worked as an inventor and she stumbles across some abandoned eggs in the nearby woods that have been uh, deforested and the eggs hatch and she has a little flock, a gaggle actually, that's the collective noun, a little gaggle of baby geese and the story simply is one of how they have to try and teach or lead those geese on their migratory path down south to warmer climes and Anna Paquin is the daughter and Jeff Daniels is the dad and really that's the the key dynamic in the the story Jeff Daniels he's just such a reliable presence he really isn't ever bad um Quite the contrary, <laughs> he's good. He's just such an easy, got such an easy presence on screen. And uh, look, it's, you know, it is very much a mid-90s film. But what was very nice to see was um, after a little while I realised that the director of this movie, which was essentially a child uh, engaging with wildlife, a child engaging with animals, a child engaging with um, nature, and finding solace in that relationship. Uh, a child who was, in many ways, isolated. Uh, in this case, um, in her grief um, and a sort of a certain amount of estrangement from her eccentric father. But the 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 film was actually directed by. The same director who did um, The Black Stallion from years and years and years ago. Do you remember The Black Stallion? <laughs> I was trying to persuade my daughter to watch it recently. And she's, uh, she <laughs> she's been quite reluctant. And she's held out and managed to, to keep me at, at bay with that one. But um, The Black Stallion was a, a favourite of ours when we were kids. A um, bit of a, a boy's own adventure, boy shipwrecked on an island with a horse who also survived the shipwreck and they bond and then there's an adventure. But the uh, the director's name is Carol Ballard, Carol Ballard and um, I, when I looked at his filmography I realised this was, this was a bit of a specialty of his, he has other animal, child movies um, that seem to be critically quite well received. But anyway, Fly Away Home, very nice. Um, and one of the things that was particularly nice about it was the cinematography. Beautiful cinematography by Caleb Deschanel, um, who is he's the father of Zoe Deschanel, the actress. Um, if you know, she is a dream pixie girl. Was that a show or was that just, you know, you know how, how she came to be known? I find her intensely irritating as an actress. It's all just too cutesy cutesy which is one of my absolute hates. But um, the photography was really, really lovely. And certainly the, the first part of the movie, I think, is told brilliantly. Just really efficient cinematic storytelling. Very lean. Um, just very, uh, very tight. And only showing what's, what needed to be shown Um, yeah, so really, really good, so fly away home, there you go, there's a recommendation for you, the following over the following days of the weekend, we watched Raiders of the Lost Ark and Jurassic Park so two two golden oldies old classic Steven Spielberg entertainments Raiders of the Lost Ark is still, I think, quite phenomenal Um, and what Spielberg achieved um, and George Lucas was involved in that project as well, this sort of reimagining of saturday serial uh t v um ad- adventurers and um these kind of uh you know devil make hair heroes um from their childhoods and they went, let's 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 do this let's make this make this big um crossing crossing the world for fisticuffs and defeating nazis um yeah it stands up very very well and if you're interested in such things you can go and seek out online steven soderbergh the director he had has had a website has a website where he talks r- talks and writes about films um and his own thoughts on films but he had put up a really interesting essay uh, extolling steven spielberg's excellence as a visual storyteller and reminded Soderbergh kind of reminded the sort of the the primacy of movies as a visual medium first and foremost and to illustrate how good Spielberg was uh, Soderbergh put up Raiders of the Lost Ark in black and white with no dialogue Um, I presume the soundtrack was there and he said you can watch this movie from start to finish and you'll understand everything because Spielberg is so good at telling the story through pictures. Um, so that's that's one if you want to nerd out and go back and watch Raiders of the Lost Ark in black and white as a silent movie and still get so much out of it. And indeed, re-watching the opening of it with my daughter at the weekend, um, that famous sequence going into the temple in South America to get the little golden head and then surviving all the booby traps on the way out very very uh impressive storytelling every beat every shot advancing the story advancing the tension the suspense and of course presenting indiana jones in that iconic way the hat the jacket the bullwhip um embodied so so well by Harrison Ford at his I suppose in his prime really uh you'd have to say just the effortless charm um and resilience and toughness and yeah really really good um and Karen Allen uh very good at his as his romantic foil in that and Ron Lacey British character actor wasn't his name Ron Lacey Oh my goodness. He is terrifying in Raiders of the Lost Ark as uh I mean basically he looks like a, a Gestapo torturer um but really really horrible. Um and yeah, he had the same effect on my daughter um as he had on me when I saw it first and I saw it at the same age as my daughter about 8. My god, he just embodied something so sinister and creepy um and gross with this sort of reptilian voice <laughs> and i was going i don't think i've seen that guy in anything ever since but uh yeah ronald Lacey. god anyway so there you go raiders of the lost ark jurassic park eh, grand i mean the you know the effects some of the dinosaurs still age very well. As a overall, as a movie, you're watching it and you're kind of going, "They got Sam Neill, who's a very reliable actor, but you know he 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 doesn't have he doesn't have that real star quality of um, Harrison Ford." But then in Jurassic Park, the dinosaurs were the stars, the effects were the stars, and there are some fantastic, fantastic sequences in that in that movie, um, particularly the the first extended sequence with the t-rex um and the kids in the car and i know very very good very good well worth checking out anyway so there you go that was movies with my, with my daughter and another one right and sorry this isn't good i'm gonna i'm gonna move on from movies here shortly um another one i had the opportunity to watch urban cowboy urban cowboy Uh, directed by James Bridges, 1980 and an early John Travolta vehicle post the uh, Saturday Night Live hysteria, or Saturday Night Fever, sorry, Saturday Night Fever hysteria and the John Travolta explosion. And I remember seeing bits of Urban Cowboy as a Kid, which basically is the story of a, a young Texan cowboy it's you know it's set in 1980, so it's uh, you know it's contemporary, um, a contemporaneous movie of the time, and he's a young rural cowboy in Texas who moves to the big city. He moves to Houston, and he is yeah he's green, he's young, he's dumb, and he moves to the outskirts of Houston. His dad works in some sort of refinery or plant, um, and gets young Travolta work there, but really the main focus of the movie um, is around this huge, huge bar called Gillies, which is this massive cowboy bar where you know there's dancing and music and drinking and fighting, and the owner plays a bit of music. And fascinatingly, in the movie, the you know there there, there are three or four appearances by established country acts. Um, prominently uh, Bonnie Raitt does a number in, at some point in the movie and they're there as themselves entertaining the crowd and also one of my old favourites when I was a kid the Charlie Daniels band their song The Devil Went Down to Georgia any time that came on the radio when I was a kid I used to just love it love it and it was part of a <laughs> it was part of a a fascination it contributed to my fascination with depictions of satan the devil um i remember he used to occasionally crop up in marvel comics as mephisto um and i always just found the, the devil a compelling and chilling terrifying figure um but the the narrative of the devil went down to georgia such a such a great little story where the the devil challenges a young fiddle player to a duel and if the fiddle player loses the devil gets his soul um and it's just a little bit of sort of redneck badassery where the fiddle player outplays the devil and sends him packing back to hell and there's a bit of attitude and the uh, the character of the young fiddle player gets to call the devil a son of a bitch I remember as a kid, I just thought that was the coolest thing. I like can imagine telling the devil where to go. And um, so, <laughs> and yeah, so I was enjoying the movie immensely. And Charlie Daniels' band were there a couple of times, but then it, they did, maybe two thirds of the way through the film or four fifths, they struck up The Devil Went Down to Georgia. And I was like, okay, that's it. I was enjoying this movie very much. And now it's just gone into all time classic status for me. But, um, it's actually a really good movie. It's a really good movie. And John Travolta, doing what he did so well, he was just this great kind of physical specimen, but, you know, the big kind of eyes, and he had this kind of soulfulness and a sort of a, a vulnerability, but also this kind of bragg- braggadocio. Um, and he, he falls in love with a, with, a, you know, with a woman who he meets at, at Gillies and played brilliantly, brilliantly, um, by Deborah Winger. In fact, like, for me, she takes the the acting laurels from the movie because she just seems to, I don't know, she just captures something so believable. Um, you know, just this kind of, this, this, I don't know, I've been young and clueless and a little bit helpless but sort of cocky and mixing it up and um, ultimately... What happens is, um, you know, the movie's forty two years old, so you know, to hell with you, if you're concerned about spoilers. but uh, John Travol's character and Deborah Winkler's character, they get married um, and within a week, you know, they're having rows that threaten to break them up, you know, you know they're in their they're in their trailer, their caravan, and he just you know, they're just so emotionally inarticulate, um and, as I say, clueless and there's a vulnerability there in the relationship and then the big bad pounces and it's it's scott glenn scott glenn and i I didn't even check what age he was but scott glenn in the most phenomenal (laughs) physical condition lean and cut and he plays a real nasty piece of work uh But Deborah Winger is instantly attracted to him. John Travolta is instantly threatened by him. Um, And they break up. And John Travolta allows himself to be seduced by this high-class girl who's slumming it in gillies from uptown Houston. And she takes him back to her swanky apartment and she has no money issues her daddy's in oil and so there is this kind of class tension that's happening as well and um yeah you should you should seek it out you should seek it out and oh sorry the you know one of the one of the, the main um the, you know the, the main vehicles of of tension and competition in the movie apart from dancing and you know drinking and fighting is um uh, a bucking bronco in the pub like a machine um, where the local guys get up and see can they stay on the bronco holding on with one hand and it's operated by some guy with his little controller and this is um, this is ultimately where John Travolta focuses his efforts to go right I'm going to show him you know what I can do on this um, and it's yeah it's just I mean it's almost it's almost like uh, a little, you know, filmic ethnography of of um, a certain class of you know Texan cowboy and Texan suburban life uh, at that time, and it feels very real. And I've no doubt that a lot of those people who were extras in that movie were were locals. Uh, so there's something of you know there's a, a verisimilitude about it that just comes through even though ultimately it's a you know it's a love story it's a it's a a you know i saw some critics describe it as a romantic comedy but um pretty pretty light on the comedy but there's a, a youthful exuberance in the performances of deborah winger and john travolta that sort of raises the the story out of its milieu out of its milieu somehow and you're sort of not as uh, bogged down in the sort of the grittiness of it, like the working class reality and kind of narrow dimensionality of the social scene. So, um, yeah, really, really enjoyable. Really, really enjoyable. Um, yeah, so there you go. Urban Cowboy. Go and find it. You know, I'm sure you can find it. Uh, you can find it online you know, stream it, rent it online. I think it's well worth checking out. Um and even if you're just gonna put your eyes on three great early performances by Travolta Winger and Glenn um a couple of hours well spent. So there you go. Now it was while I was watching it was while I was watching Fly Away Home. The the goose <laughs> the goose migration movie that that was only i think that was only day two of isolation um and i was still feeling pretty rough um but i sat down to watch that with my daughter when she came home from school and it was while i was watching that and realizing how affected i was by caleb deschanel's beautiful photography um and how moved i was by carol ballard's excellent storytelling and the nice acting performance by anna paquin it was in that moment i was really enjoying it and i felt oh man i'm gonna be overwhelmed by this and i was like okay my um yeah my defenses are down i'm completely helpless um helpless from being manipulated by this very well-told story uh gets a bit cheesy towards the end lost a little bit of its um a little bit of that leanness and a little bit of that emotional punch um but a very very good movie nonetheless but um yeah and i just thought while i was kind of feeling well you know when i had that realization that I'm going to be opened up emotionally by this movie and part of my awareness just going, this is really nice to be sitting here with my daughter watching this movie on a Friday afternoon um, and enjoying that and just feeling wrecked from the COVID. Uh, I I suppose I just felt this is, this is actually really positive. You know, this being this sick, and being like completely laid low by this um, has presented this opportunity to just go right down to the lowest possible gear and to not be concerned about anything else and to not be stressed about anything else. I mean, when I tested positive, I was stressed about that. I was very, in fact, I was very frustrated because it was. I knew immediately it was going to mean the loss of income. I had some more karate commitments that I wasn't going to be able to fulfil at my daughter's school, and one of those was going to be uh, a workshop that I've been. I was working on earlier this year. I was trying to put together a little. Yeah, a little. I I don't know if I want to call it a program, but a, a little workshop on, on holistic self-defense. And I'd arrange with the school to go in and do a couple of hours of this workshop with their sixth class group, the guys who were about to leave primary school and head off to big secondary school. And I was really looking forward to getting in and doing that with them. And unfortunately, I had to let that go. So it was really... Yeah, really disappointed and frustrated um, to have missed that opportunity to do that work with those guys, um, and not to mention the the, the 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 loss of income. But that was day one. By day two, I'd kind of gone yeah, <laughs> sleep, sleep. Um, but yeah, it did get it got me it got me thinking. It got me thinking about this idea then of really really dropping our defenses making that decision to put down the weapons to put down the means of of protection and to be to allow ourselves to be unconcerned by that and to allow ourselves to be fully it it, i think you know how i experienced it was it 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 does invite in a very present state and i know that's a, a recurring theme on the podcast and certainly i believe and there's nothing unique or original in my thinking that the the ability to engage with being present at different times i don't think it's readily available at all times not by any means but when there are opportunities to bring ourselves into our bodies and to be present in that way i believe it's very beneficial i believe it's very therapeutic and ironically when we're sick um ironically when we're sick it can that you know that can be one of the the positive side effects because it you know you know obviously sickness can so often be a physical um assault on the system and it's it can be very grounding and bring us down to uh uh as i say a very sort of base state of, of being because we don't have any other juice, we don't have anything extra with which to take our physical selves elsewhere and to engage with other things. And of course that alters our brain state as well, because if we're giving ourselves over to it, there's no conflict. There's no there's no tension. And that I think is a very powerful idea to work with there is no conflict and so if if you can work with this it's and it's kind of a it's kind of a a reverse logic idea many of us understand life in attritional terms life is battle life is struggle life is sacrifice life is effort life is you know staying sharp staying hungry getting into things putting ourselves out there um and taking some licks taking some digs taking some punches um i know i i I, I don't think i I don't think i'm um introducing a very novel idea there uh i think in many ways that's a that's a very relatable lens to present um we many of us feel embattled just by the the effort to to survive just by the effort to walk upright just by the effort to get ourselves out the door just by the effort to present ourselves for consumption um for for a public meeting point um in some way whether it's in our workplaces even in our social lives that can be a huge effort um and maybe as we as we get older that 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 can become a a dominant a dominant theme or maybe it's a midlife maybe it's a midlife experience as as You know, sorry, as the parent, as parents of younger children um, and just trying to just trying to stay afloat. Um, And certainly over the last couple of years with the circumstances of the pandemic with, I think, evident political disruption, evident political instability around the world growing um, populism, growing uh, extreme nationalism, um, growing wealth inequality, um, growing, growing, um, growing poverty uh, in, in so many ways, like food poverty, fuel poverty. Uh, you can talk about health poverty, um, education poverty. Um, all, all of this, all of these factors... Um, you know, of course, climate change is, sits above everything. I mean, is this, you know, are we living with, a, with a, a ticking clock? You know, are we moving ever closer to planetary destruction, which has its own impact on economics? The, the pandemic has played its part in, um, and again, this is, this is anecdotal. I don't have any any data, nor do I have any data. Um anxiety levels are are up Suicidal ideation is up. people's mental health is in a fractious state. so all of these things all of these things contribute to a sense of uh, of us, we people, normal humans, we earthlings. Of all of us being in a fight, being in a being in a battle, and that then, of course, is there, there. There's conflict. There's conflict in in those concepts. How can there not be? What do you you know? Every day, it's you're trying to beat something. Every day, you're trying to win something. Every day, you're trying to overcome something, and. It doesn't present itself in a, in a literal way. Um, often what we're fighting with is ourselves. Often the, the battle is to overcome our own sense of cynicism or our own sense of futility or our own sense of exhaustion or our own sense of stress. And those aren't small things. And I applaud anyone who manages to get out the door, or if you're working from home, manages to work from home and maintain a level of composure and maintain a level of positivity and maintain a level of proactivity. I, I applaud that. If you're someone who's engaging with the world, if you're someone who's thinking about the world, if you're someone who's affected by so many negative aspects of where we find ourselves in the 21st century, um to maintain a sort of a a positive uh sensibility is i think an enormous triumph (laughs) frankly and here's my here's my reverse logic if we can come back to this idea of how we think of conflict and instead of instead of engaging with a conviction that conflict is the you know the 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 status quo that every day it's going to be an effort every day we've got to bounce out of bed ready for the fight and because of that we have to have weapons because of that we have to be ready to protect ourselves because of that we can't drop our guard we can't drop our defenses Our defenses have to be up because it's attritional out there. Someone's going to get me or something is going to get me. So defenses up. Now, what happens if you engage with the idea of maybe because I have my defenses up all the time, it feels like the world is out for me. What if, because I have my defences up all the time, it feels like life's a battle and life is attritional? What if it's because I have my defences up that I have embedded this conviction? That this is the only way to survive by constantly being in this heightened state of readiness to fight. And let's just go there readiness to to engage with fight or flight because that's a defensive position as well um obviously fight is to meet it head on and go into battle flight is retreat but that is still a defensive action that is still a self-protecting action so I'm just engaging with this idea at the moment for my own sort of edification and as a a sort of a mental exercise. What if we drop the defences? What if we drop the defences and start to embed the idea of it's okay, I don't need to have my guard up. It's okay, I don't need to be on high alert, ready for a fight. What if I drop my guard and embed an idea that things are going to be okay? What if I drop my guard and embed the idea that every day won't be a battle? That I'm not under assault? That I don't need this extra enormous and ever-present effort to, to keep myself safe? See, that's a, that's, a, that's a shift. That's a, that's a shift in thinking. That's a, it's a shift that I think is instinctively confronting and instinctively sort of threatening to one's sense of well-being. But I suppose what I'm advocating is it's not good for our well-being to have our defences up all the time. It's not good for our well-being to be in a mindset of defensiveness um, or being in a mindset of having to be ready to strike, of being in the mindset of I'm about to go into battle. That, in my opinion, is incredibly draining and distracting And limiting. Um, And if I think about it from a a martial arts point of view, and this is, again, it might sound counterintuitive, but you're a much more effective fighter when you're relaxed. You're a much more effective fighter when you're calm. Um, And you read a situation much better when you're um and that doesn't mean you just stand there and let yourself be hit um or let an attack come and then respond i mean that you know that is a choice that is actually a strategy um but if if you adopt a very obvious defensive position um and have your guard up um, and are committed to holding that guard up in a very uh in a very rigid way it's it's one dimensional and it becomes ineffective very quickly and it also becomes exhausting and so i think one way to approach that situation when you're actually in and i'm I'm leaving this strictly in the sort of the the world of karate for the moment and sparring in karate there's a, a sort of a mental game that you have to play which is to almost enter an unguarded state like a soft brain state um and regard your opponent as someone who is fundamentally non-threatening and that's the best way you're going to deal with what they actually are which is a highly skilled opponent who could knock your head off um, but the mental game is to go I don't need to adrenalise uh, it's very hard it's very hard to counter that impulse and a certain amount of that is is welcome in terms of Getting the the, the 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 juices flowing, um, because uh, you know you don't want to be you don't want to be detached, you don't want to go into a sort of a uh, a removed state. And so again, it, there's a there's a contradiction here. It's it's not about disengagement, but it's about engaging in a very different way, and engaging in a way that is dedicated to a certain type of combative, you know, combat-aware serenity. Now, you'll hear athletes and competitors and fighters across all, across all sports talk about being in the zone. And in a way, I'm talking around that concept uh, where everything just flows and you respond optimally to everything. Now, that sort of optimal response uh, pattern doesn't happen without years of training. It may not happen even without a certain amount of natural ability, but it does happen. It does happen for high-level competitors, and amateurs uh, can experience that as well. Um, And that being in the zone, of course, another way to describe that is being present now what i'm arguing for is this idea that if i drop my defenses okay i'm talking more generally again just our general day-to-day living i'm getting stepping away from karate again but if i drop my defenses am i going to teach my brain to perceive the world as non-threatening because That is sort of where I want to live because then my brain can move to other places where I can better apply my skills Um, and I will spend less time uh, fueling my own anxiety uh, or fueling my fears or fueling my self-doubt or fueling my anger. You know, the anger that is a product of frustration, the anger that is a product of uh, of stress, um, the the anger that is a product of perceiving the world a certain way and perceiving oneself in the world a certain way, um, and so my argument is to drop those defenses and to try to embed an idea of nonviolence um and non conflict. So I'm, I'm using nonviolence there in a sense of how am I meeting the world? In what mode am I meeting the world? Because if I stay in this mindset of attrition, in this mindset of of fight, of battle, of combat I am I'm making myself a combatant and I am making myself a fighter and I'm putting myself into the conflict as someone who is going to engage in battle. Um, and so if, by extension, where we can interpret that then as a form of of violence of necessary violence of necessary aggression um, I think it's worth it's worth engaging with a a counter idea of I actually don't need to do that and you know this is something that I've experienced in my life when dealing with aggressive people if I remain calm and I remain non-violent but also unintimidated um it can very quickly diffuse conflict situations so my experience has been aggressive people or angry people they want con- they they you know they want the conflict made literal they want to engage in battle and they want to bring you out of your comfort zone into their space of of you know of let's fight and they've they you know, they're, they're primed. They're in that mode, that angry mode, that aggressive mode, that confrontational mode, that domineering mode, that bullying mode. And they're used to getting certain results from that behavior, their own embedded behavior, whatever they're acting out, whatever, whatever experience, whatever pattern, whatever childhood trauma, whatever, you know, area of their life they might be hiding from or denying or repressing and it comes out in this personality type and that's how they meet the world and what i found over the years is the non-violent response to that the non-aggressive response to that the non-combative response to that is almost every time very disarming so it's not it's not a disengagement but it's an unwillingness to engage on those terms and i suppose ultimately this brings me back to one of my my sort of foundational beliefs of keeping well it's on whose terms are you living your life and do you believe in the power of your own agency? Do you believe that you can set terms? And if you don't believe that, um, I think you're disadvantaged. And I think there's a a limitation to your sort of, a limitation to the sort of the, the, the amount of avenues you can pursue to feeling more well and to feeling more capable and feeling more aligned with a world that you might find um otherwise very challenging um so and you know and this is to to bring it back then to to martial arts to to fighting to actual sparring fighting um every fighter has their own tempo their own strategy, their own style of fighting. And some fighters will be very overtly aggressive. Uh, I've seen that from my earliest days doing karate. Um, Guys who thrive on very sort of, um, and when I say guys, I mean, you know, men and women, boys and girls, uh, male and female competitors um many drop into that alpha mode of very performed um aggression the outward display of aggression the the the, the snarling face the the blazing eyes um a sort of a, a hyper aggressive posturing um which <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure. And listen, by the way, some of those are excellent fighters um, and very good karate people, and that's a mode that serves them well. And there are set terms. Um, There's a specific frame of reference that they're dropping into, bringing in that attitude. Uh, it never served me, and it was never something that I, you know, it was never something I was interested in acting out as a competitor. Um, not that I did, not that I did a huge amount of competition or, or not that i 've done a huge amount of um, competition in karate that wasn 't really what attracted me to it um, ever, although I did a little bit um, but certainly in dojo sparring, dojo like you know in a training setting um there's always sparring and that's a that's a different beast. Competition has particular rules there's a very particular limit. Um, in terms of the repertoire of techniques you can use in competition, certainly in my style of karate, the affiliation that I've been associated with. Um, But in dojo sparring, um, you know, barring, uh, you know, street stuff or, you know, dirty fighting, the full repertoire of techniques is available to you. Um, And so, you know, it's a time to experiment, it's a time to play, it's a time to try stuff out. And it's a time to play with with tactics and strategy. Um, it's the time, you know, to decide, right, I'm just going to work one side of the opponent's body. I'm going to keep trying to put them onto their weak side. I'm going to keep trying to take the front leg. Um, I'm going to keep trying to distract them uh, and do unorthodox feints. Um, I'm going to constantly... Close space i'm going to constantly move off the line of attack um i'm going to constantly vary the my my tempo um i'm only going to counter attack um i'm only going to use a single um counter attack uh you know it, it could be any any number of things it could be any number of things um but the For me, the objective always, when I was fighting, whatever the context was, to remain calm and to focus on being effective. And I felt the, for me, for my personality type, trying to bring extra juice to performed aggression, I just felt that was going to be a waste of energy. Um, So I doubt I was ever considered an intimidating opponent. But see that can work in your advantage to your advantage as well, because then you're underrated <laughs> and then you strike and people are like, "Oh <laughs> you are you are willing to fight um, and see that to me is that would and I would advocate that I would advocate that, um, would advocate that in, into this into this into this recipe of 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 wellness that I'm talking about today that it's you don't have to show people you've got your guard up you don't have to even show yourself that you've got your guard up you can drop it it's okay but you can certainly engage with the idea that you are not defenseless i mean that's a very important idea it's not just giving yourself over to being beaten up by life or by by someone else that's that's not the thing Um, you can certainly engage very strongly with the idea that I am not defenceless and I am willing to defend myself on my own terms. And that can be a non-violent choice. That can be I choose not to engage with this argument. That can be I choose not to speak to you in that way. That can be any number of things where you are asserting your own value system and asserting your own sort of your own personal space within the conflict zone. And that you know, that is something that I certainly used to put into practice when I when I was teaching. Uh, so Way back when, we're talking over 10 years ago, going into classrooms in, let's just call them rough schools, um, with kids who are pretty disenfranchised, pretty disengaged from the idea of uh, formal education. And every part of school was a playground. And certainly when a substitute teacher walked in, that was playtime, that wasn't education time. And it took me quite a few years to find uh, a comfort zone within that environment that would still allow me to you know, hopefully have uh, a positive impact on the students who are in front of me. But also keep my own sense of personal safety and keep my composure and remain calm so I could be effective uh, as a teacher and effective as an adult presence um, and a positive adult presence and so I used to when I knew I was going into a classroom where I was likely to find more than one student who would be trying to provoke me uh, stir me get a reaction out of me uh, embroil me in some sort of conflict argument debate um, I i realized that it's actually okay i can choose not to get sucked into their space and i can i can you know sit at my desk and stay calm have my eyes up not try and hide from whatever's going on but that that was you know i I was literally literally making that my safe zone and going going to stay here i'm going to stay calm i'm going to be very open to whatever's going on in the room i'm going to talk i'm going to engage um but i'm not going to get sucked into a war Uh, i'm not going to get sucked into a row and it was very effective and what happened over time was the students would just gravitate towards the desk and gravitate towards me and that's where we'd engage Um, and you know I'm I'm talking like in a positive sense just coming up for chats or coming up to you know to look at work at the desk Um, and I remained in a a safe place but not disengaged Um, and you know you see that you see that you know sometimes in the in the depiction of of martial artists especially um, in movies where before going into battle they might have this moment of being very internal and the eyes will close down and they might summon their energy into a place of greater resolve and composure and sort of set themselves before then opening their eyes and going into battle. Um, So that, that sense of bringing the energy back to oneself and centering oneself and being composed and still and present in oneself i mean even just saying that i already feel calmer (laughs) but that i mean yeah that's something you can engage with you know as a as a meditative practice that's just bringing yourself into your into your breathing into your body into your mind in a, in a calm way before proceeding and taking control of your agency. And I think that that, that's a relevant component of, of what I'm talking about because I think many of us can feel that we don't have agency at times, that life is dictating the tempo and The things outside of ourselves are dictating the tempo, and they're pulling us this way and that. And there's always something else making demands of us and calling for our attention. And we feel it, 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 and it it can contribute to a, a sense of fatigue and exhaustion, and a sense of being constantly suspended um like a held breath and you just don't get that that release you don't get that downtime. you don't get to drop now you think if you've got your defenses up constantly that's a similar state of i'm just waiting 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 i'm waiting to be hit i'm waiting to have to defend myself i'm waiting to have to block whatever that move is that is not a particularly calm state even though martial, art, martial artists can train themselves to deploy those skills in a more relaxed way and hold a defensive guard um, with you know, in, in a more sort of uh, responsive, you know, a, a held responsive state, waiting to react, counter-react. Um, but ultimately, to, to drop that guard and go it's okay um what's going to happen is going to happen and i'll deal with it when it happens and i'm not going to expend energy uh any more energy than i need to and i'm going to trust that i will respond well to whatever situation comes before me that is you might say it's delusional (laughs) But it could also reflect uh, confidence. It could reflect a deep faith in your own abilities to cope. And that is something I think is worth investing in. I think it's worth investing in the idea that you have much greater resources and you might give yourself credit for. Um, we, live, we live in an age um, where we're exposed to we're exposed to and consume the success of others constantly. And social media plays its role and the 24-hour news cycle plays its role. Um, the ever-present availability of digital devices and screens with which to consume the lives of others um, plays its role as well and there's something about the the social media age the internet age the digital age whatever you want to call it that means it's very very hard not to be aware of the apparent happy successful beautiful wealthy healthy lives of others and it's very hard not to fall into the comparison game look what they have look what they're doing look at the shape they're in look at those clothes look at that house look at that car Look at their followers, look at their, their, their branding opportunities, look at their endorsements. Um, and that is you know, that, that can be used as something to motivate, that can be used as something to inspire. Maybe you just want to be a fan, maybe you're just a casual browser, but it can also be very unhealthy. And it can also be something that's demoralizing Um, and it can open up a door to feelings of um, inadequacy. It can open up doors to negative body image and it can also really open up a door to a very false perception of what is real. Because let's remind ourselves so much of what we we see online and i'm you know i'm 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 no uh no different in this regard and in, in terms of what i put up uh on social media in in terms of the podcast and what i put up to try and you know bring uh eyes to what i'm doing and bring ears to the podcast what i'm doing is curating and i'm presenting certain windows i'm saying oh, don't know don't look in that window look in this window and i'm not putting up (laughs) i'm not putting up uh things that i don't want to be seen now i don't have a problem with that because that's I, i think that's sensible and that's exercising a certain amount of control and as much as i advocate and engage um, in a certain dynamic on the podcast, which revolves around being honest and authentic and real and vulnerable. Um, you know, there's 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 limits to what you know people want to know, and limits to what people want to see. And there's there's a value in restraint, and there's a value in in controlling what you reveal um don't don't give everything away don't don't give everything of yourself away i'm not talking about my you know about personally i'm not talking about you know my secrets but you've got to retain something that is that is private and that is yours um and that isn't just everything isn't available for consumption um and that's, I think that's connected to self care, and self worth, and putting a, putting a value on on who you are and what you're willing to, what you know what you're willing to share, and being very comfortable with that, and being very comfortable with again this is and this is you know where this, this started from today. Being very comfortable with just being on your own um without sticking a post up on Facebook or Instagram or doing a hilarious TikTok video or trying to build your brand. Um it's okay. It's okay just to 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 chill. And uh, I know that's a very that's a very you know, that's a very narrow um lens that i'm talking about there and this is not meant to all hinge on what you're doing on social media or what you're you know presenting to the world but in in that area but i mean to bring it back to the general thesis of um how how you go out in the world and how you engage with life um, i think it's absolutely fine to um, to to underperform. There you go. <laughs> Yet again, I uh, I come back to my celebration of of um, of mediocrity, of of failure, of procrastination. Um, success can wait. Um, that's um, that's my mantra. It's okay. It's okay not to not to achieve it all today. It's okay to remove the, the shiny carapace. It's okay to take off the armor. It's okay to keep it very lo-fi and, and really go to, to, you know, to, to, to embrace, um, to embrace a sort of a, a silence and a, and a humility and an invisibility Um, and just to bring all that energy back to yourself and to be that small that's okay I would go so far as to say that that's excellent to bring in that that stillness is something to be to be to be welcomed to be embraced so drop the guard it's okay put those hands down breathe 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 sit down with yourself have a cup of tea relax and then take take the next moment when it comes um okay I think that's all I've got today. I'm not sure, as ever, as ever. I'm not sure if uh, if the through line remained intact. Um, but I did my best. Um, just to finish today, um, it wasn't all movies. I read a fantastic book yesterday. I picked it up in the morning and I finished it last night. And it is... Called, I Am Someone and the author is Ashleen Cregan who is uh, an artist and now on the strength of this book she is a writer and she in this book she tells the story of her her extremely difficult childhood her traumatic childhood and it is the story of her Survival um, and her emergence into adulthood, um, bowed but unbeaten, um, and the book was only released a couple of months ago um, by Gill. I think I don't Gill and Macmillan, but Gill. Gil. Um, I'll get back to you all these details, um, but it is a. It's a a brilliant, brilliant account of negotiating uh, a traumatic childhood um, with everything that that uh, suggests. And Aisling is just a a few years older than me. Um, So she described, I grew up in in Dublin, uh, but she describes an Ireland that I felt I recognised very well and aspects of her childhood I recognized very well Um, and it was yeah it was just a compelling read and told in a very straightforward uh, unfussy no bullshit way um, very spare prose uh, which kind of made it more immediate and made the the darker passages more harrowing in a way um and it's a it's a very it's a very moving story as well and i think because i was embracing this idea of having my defenses down this week um i found myself in tears at, at several stages uh, as i read the book so um yeah i I'd, I'd i'd highly recommend you seek it out buy it online uh, buy it in bookshops i know she had a book launch in easons not that long ago um, but that is i am someone by ashleen cregan and um i've i'm pretty confident that i'm going to get ashleen on the podcast uh, to have an interview with her about the book and her life and her art um and her whole journey and her her sort of her recovery journey, I suppose. Um, I'll have to see if she agrees with that way of putting it. So that is something to look forward to. It might not be next week's episode, but perhaps the the episode afterwards. So, um, yeah, do look out for that book. I Am Someone by Krieg, Cregan. Really, a really compelling, um, a really compelling read. And a tremendous story of someone's personal resilience and a triumph of the spirit of the of the individual in extremely extremely tough circumstances. So um so there you go. I think that's a that's a pretty nice note to finish on today. The sun is shining. It's looking beautiful out there. And I am confident, truly confident this time. uh, A week from now or whenever I next record my voice will be fully back. I'm still a little bit congested. You can probably hear that There's an octopus, some determined octopus of something lingering at the back of my sinuses and my throat and just refusing to scooch off back to its sea of tranquility. But it will, it will leave eventually. Okay, as always, thank you so much for listening. I hope you got something out of today's episode. You can find me on the dreaded social media. The Clear Out Podcast is on Instagram. And Facebook and YouTube. Uh, the clear out 2, that's the number two, the digit two. The clear out 2 is on Twitter. And should you feel the need, you can email me at the clear out live uh, at gmail.com. And if you ever feel you want to throw some some money, some financial support, some financial assistance, a financial endorsement uh, at the clear out you can do so using the supporter link which will be there in the description wherever you're listening to this podcast um, or if you want to become a regular contributor to the show to become a, a patron you can use patreon.com forward slash the clear out and there will be a link for that also wherever you're listening to this show this show this tell thank you for listening to the tell okay All the best. Mind yourselves. Take care. I look forward to talking to you again real soon. All the best. Bye.